Illusionary. All right. Welcome back to the Illusionary Podcast, everyone. My next guest has been mixing elegance, surprise, and humor into amazing magic for more than three decades. She has been featured in Magic Magazine, Genie, The Linking Ring, and she's the executive director of Magicana, dedicated to the exploration and advancement of magic as a performing art. Please welcome Julie Ng. Julie, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. This is exciting. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So when you got started in magic, you got started really early, didn't you? You were, you were part of a magic I family. Did. How was it growing up yeah, in a my... magic family? <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's idyllic. I, I started off, my father's a magician, and he, he involved, my parents had us when we were very young. I have a sister, and we're very close in age. And the two of us were involved part of the show right from the get-go. Uh, my father was, uh, a, we were in Victoria, British Columbia. It's a small community. So he did a ton of shows. And it was obviously a novelty just to have, you know, this kind of magic show. But then with a the family in magic, you know, we became quite, you know, the troupe. <laughs> so it was great. I, I was involved in the show right from the very beginning. In fact, there's a picture that I, I love because my mom must have caught it with my dad pulling me out of the hat. So I'm about three months old or four months old. So it's, it's I'm pretty small switch. and I'm in the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was kind of interesting to, to grow up in that, but for me it was yeah. normal. I mean, only really when I started looking back that I realized it wasn't so normal. It wasn't so day to day, you know, this is a very crazy time to, you know, your dad's got straight jackets in the living room, you know, that we always had some kind of illusion they were working on. So there was always a trunk of some kind at our house, a basket, a trunk, a box, a temple, something with swords, usually chains, you know, it's a little, that was the normal living room everywhere. setup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, like that was like, that was our norm. I, I was laughing because, you know, I can get into small spaces. I really don't even think about it. Uh, we were, I, I don't know. I was picking up something in a small space. I bent down in there and grabbed it. And someone had commented on like, this is nothing, <laughs> you know, like as a kid, that's where I hung out. Absolutely. You know, we're always, you know, crawling around little things. So no, I don't have claustrophobia either. <laughs> uh, that's a, a good thing not to have for sure. So what did yeah. your friends kind of think like uh, growing up when you meet new friends and stuff and you take them home for the first time and there's just magic everywhere? They knew me. I, I didn't have to tell them what my dad did for a living. So that we were pretty popular on the street. Everyone knew that my, we had a long driveway. And so my dad would obviously, you know, drive, he had a big van. So he'd drive the van up and weird stuff would be coming in and out of this van. So, I mean, they all knew, like they would like watch, especially my neighbors. Uh, when I was going to elementary school, we'd, we'd, you know, congregate in these various homes and they always wanted to come to our house, not to play with me, but to get my dad to perform for them. <laughs> he would constantly perform for them. <laughs> so it was, you know, they knew me. I, I didn't have to, to sort of, uh, no one was surprised. Maybe my grade seven teacher was surprised because she didn't know the setup. She, she was new in town. <laughs> and she was quite surprised when she found out my father was a magician. She, I don't think she really believed me at the beginning. And she said, you know, do you think your, do you think your dad could come and show us our, you know, what a straitjacket looks like? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And she wasn't <laughs> ready for that. And finally, we arrange it. My dad's going to do this little demonstration. We're talking about Houdini or something at school. And mm -hmm. dad, you know, you got to help me out here. I don't think Mrs. Classen thinks that this is a for real thing. 
He goes, okay. So he brings down the straight jacket. And I had a, a particularly big classmate. You know, we're 12, 13 years old in grade seven. So I had a really big classmate. My dad was about five, seven, five, eight, not, not more than that. And this kid was just as big, but he was huge. He was like, he'd like a linebacker, you know, just matured so early. So we popped him in the straight jacket and he started to really, you know, feel the constrictions and, and you, know, you couldn't even get the arms around him and he started to really feel the, the fear. Yeah. So he then puts my dad in. My, we didn't go any further. He puts my dad in and my dad and I've done this together, like the big, you know, showdown, a countdown, you know, I'm rolling my arms like, can we get on with this? You know, the big act, right, <laughs> about escaping. So he's doing it. And at the time, my new grade seven teacher, she's pregnant and she's like about seven and a half months pregnant. She's getting ready to go on mat leave. <laughs> she's pacing back and forth and back and forth, ready to give birth because uh, she goes, oh my God, I just put Mr. Ring into this predicament. He's going to have a heart attack. He's going to die in front of all these students. Like, how am I going to explain this? <laughs> he was oh, like, that'd be awesome. are you kidding me? <laughs> so that's like, that's great seven, you know? Yeah, that's, uh... that was, that's how my friends knew my dad. That, that is awesome. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't even come close to, to a story like that <laughs> at all. <laughs> like, that's just amazing. One of many. One yes. of many. <laughs> so when was it that you kind of started breaking out on your own or starting getting involved in magic um, as an individual and decided, you know what, this is something that I want to do for myself and I want to perform myself? I got into it more or less at that time. You know, I'm about... 12, 13, I started doing birthday party shows. Again, you know, I'm too young to drive. So my, my father was great. You know, he'd set it all up for me. It was okay. Here's how you book a gig. You know, here's how you speak to a client on the phone. Um, you should find out this kind of information. So he was teaching me how to, to be like a booking agent for myself and for him. Like we would get a lot of calls and, you know, I was, I was a really, um, at 12, I looked like I was nine, you know, I was always, I looked younger than when I was a kid. And, mm -hmm. and so people were always very surprised to see me because I look, you know, like here's a seven-year-old booking a gig, <laughs> you know, it's just very weird. And, um, but I got into it and then I, I found that, you know, obviously I, I got a lot of shows. My father just kept passing birthday party shows down to me. Again, it's a small community. Everybody, once one kid finds out you're coming to their birthday, everybody wants you. <laughs> And we had, you know, rabbits and birds and, you know, so we had interesting productions at the end and it's fun, you know, you do the livestock and the kids are very happy, but I'm performing for kids that are not much older than me. So I learned very quickly how to get into it. And I liked the idea of presenting, you know, to, to kids and to families whom the family started watching. Then you start getting into the bigger ones. And again, my father just constantly coached me to do this. And my sister would come and help me with all of my shows. So um, it would be sometimes just my dad and me. He would he would set me up. He'd drive me there. He'd be the roadie, and he'd pay me. Five, I had to pay him five bucks for the luxury of having an assistant. <laughs> Makes but, sense. You know he yeah he taught me. You know you gotta you gotta also work with people, and you know when I look back now, it was a great learning experience because I I, I got to know people and families, civilities. You know, lack of a better word really at an early age. And it was, it was a really joyful thing. I did this something with my dad, you know, this is Saturday afternoon, you're running around the city. It was great. So I got into that and then I just, it just stuck with me. And of course, the more I learned, the more my father would teach me. And we had a small club in Victoria, the Victoria Magic Circle. And mm -hmm. again, you know, I was a young member, but they embraced me there. I believe at the time, I think I was the only 
active female magician. There was a lot of spouses that we would do a lot of social things together. So we, you know, um, the annual parties and things like that. But it was much more of a social aspect for for women in in that realm. So there's a few women in magic. So I was one of the more active uh, participants. And the the my my friends, they were quite a bit older than me, but they were always super, super supportive, very encouraging, helped me with everything and encouraged me to do more. So I, I very much had like these giant circles of brothers and, and cousins and uncles, like grandfather figures. All of these male figures were very prominent, but incredibly supportive and then encouraging me to perform more and more. So I just kept going with it. That's so they so put awesome. me through school. Yeah, put me through university. I just kept going. I just kept <laughs> presenting, kept going to school. And I, I found that magic was really good for a university. I did a lot of presentations. And I have no problem getting in front of people or doing what my, one of my professors would call a stump speech. He'd say, okay, he'd give us a topic. and We'd have to almost bloviate about it. You know, like, how are you going to sell this? <clears throat> no problem. This is my bailiwick, you know. And yeah, and that's the time when my dad also had a magic shop too. So I was working after school at the shop. I was demonstrating magic. I was selling magic. I was selling my shows, selling my father's shows, you know, selling bigger. Like I was constantly working all angles of, you know, what magic can be in a, in a small community like that. So it was a great, I have had a really strong and early exposure to all of that sort of um, experiences inside of not just performing, but all the aspects that go with being a magician, and all the, it's difficult. All the business side too. Yeah, yeah, and a all lot the time. Have with. Yeah, the business side, but also there's a somewhat artistic side. You know, you have to think about the the lineup, the entertainment value, the movement. Um, you know, my my sister and I both took dance classes. We did. A, my sister got more into rhythmic gymnastics, but I dabbled at that too. And you know, the, this idea of of thinking about how does your body move and when you're holding props and what does that look like and how do people see that and where's your angle? Like, you know, I just learned basic presentation points just from like sitting in a ballet class. So it's all of these things that were layered in childhood that kind of gave me uh, all the school, the tools and skills I needed to maybe, you know, really forward this as a, as a profession, as a career. That's really awesome, especially to learn it at such a, a young age and just keep building on it. Like that, that's just, I, I honestly wish I had that type of experience with really anything. Uh, I did learn a lot as a kid, but, you know, definitely not, you know, proper business skills and, and presentation stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. There's a huge range, you know, and, and that I think really ultimately my parents were this really interesting entrepreneurial couple. So while my father was a a professional magician in the city and my mother would assist him and all of the aspects that go with it. My dad also had like, a, um, he was also a bartender. So he did magic as bartending. So he, I was really young when I got into this and you know, we, it's a small working family. So my dad would pick me up. I would be at the army Navy, you know, <laughs> back storage room waiting for my mom to come and get me. And I'm, I'm hanging out with these guys, you know, it's like, it's ridiculous. I think I was a baby. I remember a grade one report coming in. So I must've been seven or eight, six or seven. And, you know, I'm hanging out at the army Navy. <laughs> so it's like you learn at an early age, um, all of these neat things. And it becomes like my dad then got into bartending, a bartending school. I was selling those programs when I was 12 or 13 years old. And 
I'm registering students. I'm marking papers with my sister. You know, we, we had all this stuff down. Like we knew this stuff by, by, by rote by the time, you know, we're 12, 14 years old, you know, it was, it was hilarious. It was, so, you know, you learn as you go inside of this small family and it's that, that maneuverability that my father had as a, an entrepreneurial spirit that really taught me that I need more than one skill if I'm going to survive in this kind of business. And that was obviously the, the best lesson. Absolutely. And obviously, since you started, a lot, a lot has changed in magic too, like, uh, especially since you're a kid uh, up to now. So what are yeah. some of the biggest things that you've noticed uh, that have changed in magic or, or some things that um, you've really seen happen that maybe other people on the outside wouldn't really notice? Well, I, I think it's, it's always under some kind of change and, and, I have been in it a long time, so I, I hate saying, well, you know when. <laughs> you sound like there's an old person saying that. <laughs> and it's, it's funny, but, you know, it's, I guess it's also how every generation would then look back. Mm -hmm. You look at Alexander behind me, right? I mean, that was when a show was a show. I mean, this was golden age stuff, and it was grand and, and uh, theatrical and... I mean, really rich with uh, several people on stage and maneuvering a choreography, beautiful props, you know, train cars moving back. We can't do that now. You know, that's definitely changed. And it's funny because now where once the, you saw these really beautiful grand magic shows, it is so expensive to move a show like that. Oh, yeah. It's expensive to set up a show, stage a show, produce a show like that. You can't even get in the door before you realize you're broke because there's no way you could break even based on the number of people coming in. Like you just do the math and you're like, it just, the, the, the cost of, of producing has really shot up and it's interesting because a lot of people now using technology to then perhaps do a slightly smaller show, but still being able to reach a bigger audience. So the internet is one, but iMag is another. Um, I'm astounded at my friends who do these shows in China. You know, 2,500 people, no problem. Like that's an afternoon matinee for, you know, a close-up show. Really? And I'm like, well, how do you do a close-up show like that? Yeah. <laughs> I had screens. You know, <sighs> it's, yeah, it's incredible. And I'm like, I'm fascinated by that. You know, it's, they're still hauling gear and everything, but it's a different kind of dynamic and setup. And I guess those changes for me are interesting. Um, I think there's more of a shift in uh, performance style and performance variety. Um, there's, for example, a big push, not so much into what was a big thing for me when I was kind of getting into it in my, uh, my formative years. Grand illusions were big and, and, and manipulation was fantastic and dub acts were amazing. You know, like that's so tired and, and, and almost trite in some of this language I hear from younger generation and younger generation today. And it's interesting, you know, what was you know, because that was rare stuff. And now it's like, oh, I could look that up on the internet. You know, it's like that accessibility and the consumption of, of information and, and how it's tossed away has kind of disappointed me in some ways. But it also challenges us as performers to then, well, how are you going to engage these people? What speaks to them? What makes it interesting? How do you reach them then if they're so sophisticated? You know, like, well, then you need to, you as a performer need to raise your game, become more sophisticated, more interesting, more, not necessarily more innovative and creative in the sense that you have to invent, but I think you have to listen to your audience and move with them 
in a way that speaks to them. And I'm, I'm fascinated by that, you know, just interacting with people. So my favorite, as you can tell, is doing like close up and cocktail yeah. parties and get to know people. I enjoy that very much. So uh, are there any tricks that uh, you used to just love performing when you were young that you've still got in your act or you have adapted for, for newer audiences? I, I do. I have this nice and unusual situation where my father taught me a lot of magic. So I ended up, of course, learning a lot of his routines. And it's now that he's, he's been gone 10 years now. And it's amazing. I still do his routines, certain ones. And it's, it's fun for me because it's, you know, for me, that's, that's reliving that part of my life and how I came to learn it and all that. And I often think of the fun that he would have in performing it. He was more like a prankster, jokester, and a fun personality of a different bent that's, you know, it's just different from me. And it's, it's interesting because I can still use that routine and magic, but I have learned to adapt it for my personality, but I still get that great enjoyment. That said, I love learning new things. I, in my, as I've aged, I've become much more mercenary over what I choose. You know, before, oh yeah, I could spend 3,000 hours learning this, but now I don't have 3,000 hours to learn that. I mean, I have other stuff I got to do. And so it's, you know, you do become much more selective. And I think as we mature, you choose things that are more appropriate as well. And, and I, I'm very lucky. I've got great friends who often uh, toss ideas my way, or if I want to look for something to work on, we can collaborate. And for me, it's, that's a gold mine. You know, that's, that's a, um, not only a gold mine, but it's a gift. It's a gift to have that level of friendship, collaboration, trust, and the community. And so I'm, I'm desperately lucky and, and, um, and I, I am grateful. I'm grateful that I still have that. This is a business where we can uh, continue to learn how to run a business, but we can also have an art where you can continue to grow and grow and grow. You can never stop learning here. And no. a friend just dropped, you know, gave me a book. Um, oh, I have this in my library. I don't, you know, I'm just sort of moving things around. You, yeah, have, and you read it. It's like, this is really good stuff. You know, it's like you get, yeah. you, you can never stop discovering things. And what's, you know, that's, for me, that's the journey. Absolutely. I, one, of, one of my personal slogans is sometimes a teacher, always a student, because uh, I'm under the same thing. Um, many years ago, I learned that I, I can't stop learning um, because otherwise you get left behind fairly quickly the, the way things change. So yes. I was happy to learn that at, a, at an early age because it, it really changed how I thought about things that I was working on and things that I was doing uh, just, just in life. So, But that's that pulse, you know, that's that yeah. keeping connected with your community. And so in our case for, for Magic, our audiences, you know, you, you, you've talked about how much things have changed. When you go from something from golden age to this current age, you know, you look at what's on stage now, it's night and day. I mean, there, you can't even begin to talk about the differences, but it's still an audience and it's still a performer. So there's some common elements that we, we can really adhere to. And that's the thing, like that constant keeping in that pulse of, of what is community? Who, what are you interested in? And what's, how's that working for you? You know, social media is a great example. Yeah. So, so what kind of things uh, do you do to, to keep your finger on that pulse um, other than talking to, to people in the industry? Like, do you do anything spe specific outside of that? I'm very lucky. My, as my, I'm going to steal my friend's line, but it's my advocation. It's also my, you know, what I love to do and, and what I, I do do for a living. It's my vocation as well. So it's, I constantly, 
<laughs> for my work, I'm constantly exposed to magic conventions, conversations inside of magic. Um, I sell magic for a living, for example, with, with the Johnny Thompson book that we just completed for Magicana. I spent a number of, uh, well, a good number of, um, I hate to say it, years working on this. It took Johnny and J uh, Jamie Ian Swiss about 10 years to compile this, to really refine this. And then Magicana had it for a couple of years to really mold it and, and to, to, to bring it into this fruition. So for me, I was deeply you know, involved in this and I'm immersed in this world. And it's, you know, that's like, that's a goal, another gold mine for me. You know, I love doing this. I love Johnny as a person. And I learned so much working with him. We, we were sitting side by side. I have this great picture a friend of mine snapped when we were doing the, when we were doing the photos. I, I shot all the photos. I did the layout. And so I'm working with Johnny side by side. But, you know, I have a memory of watching him. I was seven years old, you know, watching him on stage. And, you know, he's got this amazing energy that you just want to be around and talk about learning oh my goodness you know for two years we soaked up johnny like it was incredible and you know like how can i say that i i don't you know <laughs> keep my finger to the pulse i mean that's the guy that is the pulse yeah <laughs> so i'm i'm very fortunate my my work throws me into this opportunity you know we magic kind of also puts together a lot of conferences and conventions, some on history, some on, excuse me, <coughs> some on um, uh, uh, just uh, conversations inside of um, mentorship. So we have 31 Faces North where we bring together a small group of people. It's, it's a, by invitation, but it's by design to create and foster relationships and sharing and information. On a, you know, you have Magic Live, which has, you know, what, uh, 800 people, 1600 people. And, and that's amazing. You can do all kinds of neat things, but sometimes you, you, you can go to a conference and you don't even see a person for days and days or at all. And here, you know, in the smaller convention, you can spend intimate time together and really, I guess, letting the hair down a little bit because there's a smaller group. It's more intimate. There's a, a sharing aspect, um, a very deep uh, you know, it's that mentorship idea, you know, yeah. it's, again, Johnny would come to something like this, for example, and he'd just tell us stories, but it's like, wow, you get a sense of life. You get a sense of the breadth of situations one can be placed in. You can think about, well, I wonder what that would have been like. I mean, it just, it can only give you and layer on for, for, for people who haven't gone through it, a layer of experience. You know, it's, you can't get the experience, but you can certainly feel it. And there's a person, a living story telling you this. There is no greater experience than that. So for, for me, I think that that's where I've been incredibly lucky because I organize all of this, but I'm a part of all of this. So it's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> and anything worth about. doing is always going to be a lot of work. So <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's, I, I, I really feel where I am blessed. I am in a unique position. I know a lot of magicians who have to work full time and then try and carve out time to listen to podcasts, read books, uh, try to get to conventions. That means they have to balance their family life, their vacation time. How do you pay for that? That means you're giving up shows if you're doing a part-time pro, pro. I mean, like there's a lot going on and, and I do that too, but I have the, the real joy of also 
being able to spend some time, um, as I said, working on something like the book, which I'm very proud of. And, and it was just such an unbelievable experience. It, it has shifted who I am and it shifted many relationships thanks to that in a very positive and, and meaningful way to me. So you get to know people and, you know, that's for me, that's my community. So having that, that mechanism in place, you know, it, it's, it's a gold, it's a real gold mine. Absolutely. I, I do have to say, uh, I'm a little bit jealous with some of the stuff that you get to do in your, in, in your day-to-day, uh, especially with some of that historic stuff. Um, sorry, you guys yes. got like, a, like yes. a, a moving truck full of boxes of old magic videos and stuff. Uh, like that. I'm just like, oh, like it's, there goes I'm, a week right there. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I, I've seen a lot now and I've seen a lot of live stuff. I've seen a lot of historic stuff. I've heard a lot of stuff same way. You know, it's like there is so much. And this is where I'm very excited for Magicana because as we have grown, it's been, this is my 12th, I'm going to my 13th year, uh, I believe with Magicana. Is it that long? My goodness. So it's, it's, it's amazing to me at how much we've been able to amass and now share. We've had these, wonderful um, supportive donors that allow us to create mechanisms so that we can put things online, for example, the videos in the screening room and share that with the world. So a great Canadian story is the magic palace that was, you know, played in the seventies and sorry, more like the mid eighties, mid to late eighties and Dale Harney, you know, in, in Calgary and Edmonton, he would, he would hop around and we did this little story about it and it's on our site, but he, had this great idea. We do a variety show. Johnny Thompson was the entertainment director for a little while. So he brought in all these, right? So there's Charlie Miller, Johnny Thompson. You've got Pat Page, endless number of people on there performing, both Canadian, American. Because Johnny would funnel them up from California if they were playing a castle or if they're in that area. So we had this amazing collection of fantastic material. And that would have been lost because those were the days when it was recorded on video but it was so expensive, they would recycle the video. So there was no archive of them other than what people at home own consumer products would record. Yeah. And we all recorded it, but there are varying degrees of, of, um, <laughs> of genera- like viewings. Yeah. Like, you know, like our house, we'd watch that over <laughs> and over. Like it was run like those crazy lines and oh, all fuzzy. I but there are how many VHS tapes I did that too. <laughs> I, it's, it's ridiculous, right? Like when you think about it now, I mean, VHS, my nephew who's four will never know what VHS stands for. You know, it's, it's hysterical to me. But the, there are archivists who keep these things in pristine condition or collectors who keep them. They now let us re-digitize them. So we took from VHS, we digitized. We have really good copies of some of the stuff. So Johnny tells us one of the first times, and I believe up until very, very recently, like two years ago, it's the only time that he recorded the Gambler's Ballad, which he is very, very famous for. So there, you know, here is he, he is performing this, you know, like 34, 35, almost 40 years ago. I mean, that's a different kind of presentation. And, and we have it. We have it. And it's for the world to see. You know, it's all up there. So we have this great house of, it's almost like a museum of digital archives now. You know, we've got, um, my colleague has collected many, many, images but now we have many many moving pictures as you saw from the blog post that i put up but there's also tons of audio remember there was a big audio phase so people would record cassette tapes reel to reel we're digitizing 
a huge amount of that material as well from various collections. So Magicana is starting to get known to be the house of these things and we're archiving, digitizing, and now making available. And one of the things I'm very happy to report is that we also have great um, friends in this community, but we also have a great, you know, great colleagues and, and uh, people who are connected with Magic can, can help curate some of this stuff. So our artistic director, for example, David Ben, is well-versed in a lot of, of, of this history. So he can help put context into things and create, well, sure, it's one thing to listen to something about Charlie Miller, but did you know this, this, and this? So, you know, to have those wonderful, oh, I didn't know, right? Like, yeah. so now you have stories, now you have new insights, now we have the video that can maybe help illustrate something like that. I mean, now you've got almost like, a, I guess, a bit of a talking history in many ways, you know, that makes yeah. it, for me, again, I, you know, I just feel so excited and, and pleased, and I just want to share this, you know, more and more with people. So that's why I was really glad for this opportunity to tell you about it. Well, I, I can't lie. Um, I've gotten lost down a few rabbit holes on the Magicana site already where, oh yeah, I'll take a look at this for a few minutes and then two hours later, oh crap, I got other stuff I need to be doing. So, But yeah. that's, you know, did you see that stuff like from because of the Magic Palace stuff, which was broadcast, thanks to the person, um, Larry Thornton in Calgary, he says, oh, this is nothing, Julie, you should see my personal collection. So we digitized that's where we got that Skinner stuff and um, you see Daryl on there. Like this is vintage era because Larry yeah. had the wherewithal, the smart, the artistic outlook. And he also had the, I guess the tenacity to also preserve this with some, you know, cause the, the films you can run through, you have to be really careful with this stuff. You can, mm -hmm. you can damage it and that's it. But his stuff is in such pristine condition because he took the time to love it and care for it. So it's all organized. It's indexed. So now we've digitized that and that's the stuff that, you know, again, that's that movie magic exhibition on our site. You know, that's never before seen stuff, you know, and that's, that's what's cool about how we can marry some of the broadcast stuff with now that thanks to those relationships. So. I just love, <clears throat> I, I used to hate history, like growing up, <laughs> never wanted to learn about it, all that kind Have of fun stuff. Kids. Yeah. The cooler yeah. it gets and yeah we lose so much to history. Like I can only imagine all the old magic pamphlets that, you know, two or three pages that have, they're in dumps. Like nobody will ever see these things. And then somebody will move and yes. pull a box out of a hidden the attic, yeah. an attic. And yeah. all yeah. of a sudden you learn all these things that nobody knew or nobody talked about since like the thirties or forties. It's like, sure, yeah. so yes, um, it's, definitely. It's Thank you for fun. being it's, a part of that. Oh, well, it's, it's so fun to discover this stuff. It is for me, that's like, Oh, that's, you know, you talk about rabbit holes. That's why you dig down. Cause you just never know what could be in there. And that's the thing with the Macalini stuff, you know, that we required. It was, there's some incredible stuff in there. Now there's a lot of stuff in there and that's, that's part of our difficulty is like, how do you, <laughs> <laughs> wade through all of that but we will slowly you know do that and as we do I love you know there's little gems things that are are not so good you know the damaged film or or it's not what you think it is or whichever and then the stuff that you think yeah run-of-the-mill stuff it was labeled wrong or whatever so you know it's like wow it's incredible to me and I'm glad that it's it, I think there is a new interest. I see online, there are tons of sites with magic videos, magic 
um, archives, not, so in other words, images or photos or, or history. And I'm fascinated by all of this because it's, it's wonderful that people are really seeing the cool side of it. And you talk about how history is kind of not so popular now. It's a source of inspiration. It's a source of learning and, of course, a sense of identity. So I think these are really, it's a, it's a neat time right now for all of us. It really is. So if, if you could give um, one piece of advice to, to somebody who's just starting out, um, not only for their career, but to help preserve what they're learning and stuff uh, for future generations, what, what would you suggest? I think I would, I would probably suggest um, taking the very, very difficult, but I think rewarding road of uh, carrying water. And that is to go find an, uh, somebody who inspires you and, and, and bug the heck out of them and just hang out, ask questions, carry their gear, drive them to the gig, set up their stuff, shovel. You got to shovel. And mm -hmm. you've got to go through the ranks. You know, I talked about how sitting around listening to stories you can layer on experience. That's only one very slight, minuscule, thin layer of experience. You have to go through that, and I really believe that you will be rewarded in those steps of climbing the career ladder carefully, slowly, with, with intention. I often see a lot of, you know, because we were at the shop, I saw a lot of people would buy things and just try and, you know, jump to performance. And some people can, can do that. That's great. But I really think that they're robbing themselves as much as their audiences. Mm -hmm. of the time it takes to go through the learning because you discover something about the trick, about yourself, about how, what it means to you, how you can then relay it. You will skip all of it necessarily if you don't go through each of those aspects of, of exploring and experiencing it. And I sound like such an old person to say that, but no. you know, it's, it's, it's true. You know, I'm talking to you and I'm thinking, wow, you know, we had a lot, I had a lot of fun growing up in all of this and I saw and learned like I listened I watched I, I I hauled those bags I set up that stuff and I still continue to do that because I believe there's something to find and discover and learn as a performer you can always find something to learn and if you keep your ears open your eyes wide I, I think you'll be very richly rewarded I couldn't agree more with that. Um, I, I've always, well, not always, uh, again, yet, yet younger me wasn't as bright, <laughs> but like watching what other people are doing around you and that are involved with you and asking them questions and learning more about what they do can only benefit everybody because it's going to benefit you more. It's going to benefit them more, right. you can work yeah. better together, build, yeah. build stuff up better. And that's, I think it's building personal relationships too that are incredibly important. That's, you know, if I was to reflect on what we talked about, I, and I always say that I'm, I'm, I have been so gifted by those relationships. So the more you build along the way and you ha you can't, you can't just phone somebody up and say, Hey, I hear you do this great move. Do you think you can, you know, it doesn't work like that. No. You know, it simply doesn't work like that. And the entitlement that I, I have, I have witnessed is, uh, is shocking to me because I'm not raised that way and I don't understand the world this way, but the world has changed. And, yes, I, and I don't know if that is necessarily something that's practiced anymore. And that would be, if, it was, if I got to subtitle my advice, that would be, you know, and do it with you know, common sense of being a civil and polite person. 
You know, you've got yes. to climb the rungs meaningfully and with intention, but with respect as well. I love that advice because I, I, I agree. The world <laughs> is changing and not necessarily in a better way when it comes to, to that kind of stuff. Definitely people need to, to be a little more courteous uh, to everybody. And that's one of the things that I, I love about magic is being able to put smiles on people's faces and change their their daily perception because they could have been having just the worst day ever and yes. you just do something something very small for them that just completely flips their day and oh. and what did it take it just took being present to another person putting your phone down not trying to video you know you, the torso of you doing a, some crazy shuffle on the table i mean it just for me that's it, it's a great learning technique for some things but it learns technique now we need to extend and get back into you know face to face experiences with people i think you'll find exactly as you said you don't know what someone's going through you really don't. You can make a lot of assumptions, but can you truly say what they're thinking and feeling? No. So if you take the time to engage them for the one fun moment, you know, you, you see it a lot and, and it's, it doesn't take much, you know, just to, yeah, to just take that time and you will learn a lot about yourself and the world around you. And I think that makes you a stronger, more observant, much more progressive performer. Absolutely. Um, I, I do know that one thing that uh, a lot of people struggle with these days is anxiety. Um, <clears throat> I, I suffer from social anxiety myself. Being in, being in big groups is terrifying, but I can still do public speaking in front of 200 people without mm -hmm. issue as long as it's something that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm speaking or performing in front of people, it's once I'm actually doing it, I'm okay. It's getting to that point of actually doing it. What would you suggest to people that are kind of having that struggle right now of doing just the, the torso shots to try and get them out of that and move more into, into the real world? Well, I think, you know, you've, you've hit two things. Um, the anxiety you're speaking of is, is also AKA as a stage fright. You know, a lot of, if you do like to perform, now, there's real social anxiety that I'm sensitive to, and, and I understand a lot of people do feel that. I think the pressure of today's world is different, and I think that that is something that I, I really deeply respect, like sometimes that that is just too much for people. And getting in front of a screen with just a torso shot is how they are breaking past some of that. But there comes a point where we hit comfort levels inside of a parameter, and if you if you want to stay there, well, then that's exactly where you will stay, known for this part of you. But there's this bigger part of you, and I think that there's a whole person that you can share. And it's a matter of trust, and it's a matter of, I think, also a great deal of, of preparation. I often teach young people at Holland Bloorview Kids Rehabilitation Center here in Toronto, and the kids are going through a rehabilitation program through their occupational therapy program, but magic is used as this tool. But I don't tell the kids that it's, I don't believe it's occupational therapy for me. You're recreational, but you're learning how to be a magician. So a magician doesn't perform like this. A magician doesn't perform, you know, for, for your, your tabletop and just says you are a performer. So you have to sit up or stand up if you're able. You, and I teach them all the stuff about opening their shoulders, speaking from their tummies and looking into the eye. Like they have to learn how to do this. And, we, and it's terrifying. I tell them this on the first day. <laughs> I'm surprised they come back. But I <laughs> promise them, I promise them because between now and your performance, we have these many sessions. 
we're going to work on every single aspect so that you feel prepared at the end. So a lot of the time for, you know, I, 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 again, I don't want to trivialize people who have real social anxiety, but sometimes it's also practice. It's sometimes it's practice and there will come a point where you have to just do it. And I've seen it for many, many years. I've run this program 15 years and I've seen it in many, many different forms. But by and large, I'd have to say 99.9% of the time of all the shows I've seen in lead, where I've seen a lot of terror, tears, and panic right before people perform, the reward that comes from saying, I got up there and I did it and I, I felt good about what it is I was doing because I, I, I was ready. I was prepared. I prepared my script. I knew where I was going to put my cards. I knew how this was going to come. I thought about the options if this doesn't work, how to, how to move my way around it. We talk about outs. You know, when you are prepared, you feel, like you said, when you're public speaking, you feel good because you're passionate because you're ready to share. Yeah. And that's such a trite and easy thing to say, well, you just have to prepare. But a lot of the time, it's about thinking about your audience. How does it land on them? And how do you want them to respond? Can you be that kind of person to then lead that, you know, and, and, and wave that experience back for both you and for them? And it's, it's a very old and simple technique, but you not only practice, but you have to rehearse. These are very distinctive qualities and practice belongs to the technique side, but rehearsing becomes about you being comfortable on stage and not knocking over the table. You by and large knock over the table because you never realized that it was there because you didn't practice and rehearse with the table there. The yeah. kids will come with capes and all of a sudden I'm like, we didn't practice with the cape. We didn't rehearse with the cape. That cape is going to swoosh down and things are going to go flying and you're not going to be ready with. You know, like we got to talk about it. So we have a dress rehearsal, you know, things like that. So it's, it's, you know, I use that as an example, but we have to do this every day. You know, this is how we, this is how you, pref I don't think you walk into a public speaking gig and speak to 200 people unprepared, you know? Yeah. I, I believe you probably have a lot of great notes, you have a lot of great anecdotes, you've planned out when, you probably know what second you're at when you're speaking, because that's what public speakers do, right? You know, that's why you don't feel anxiety. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, now the improvisational side of something like a cocktail party where you're doing a little close-up and strolling, well, you have to rehearse a little differently for that, you have to practice a little differently for that, but, I still argue that there's lots of mechanisms in place to do that. And I think once people start to do a little more people engagement and experiences and creating opportunities to perform, I wonder if that screen might change a little bit in terms of the focus and it might broaden that individual's experience and what they want to share in the world. So I would hope anyway. I think you're right. I think it very much would. Awesome answer. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And I have one final question. <clears throat> you, you've gotten to, to work with uh, some amazing people as, as we've yeah. discussed. Um, is there anybody, if you could spend the day with one, one person living or dead now, um, who would it be? Oh, living or dead now. That's a tough one. I, I would dive deeply into the past because I, I look at all of these amazing women in magic in history 
that astonished me at how they not only had to do all of all of the magic side, the performance side, the rehearsal side, the technique, but then they had to deal with this really crazy perception of how women just were viewed in the past and the yeah. tenacity, the, the 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 sense of self, the supporting characters that were around them. I'd have thousands and thousands of questions, you know. I'm thinking of Adelaide Herman at the moment, but, you know, there are so many women in this recent past, you know, we, we've did this great conversation, um, sorry, convention for the Magic Collectors Weekend, and Celeste Evans was speaking, and she, so, she, you know, she's working in the 60s and, and 50, even the 50s, I think, and, and um, what it was like to be a woman in magic then, like, so, you know, having that conversation with her and her family, but now can you imagine shifting that back in time even more, you know, and looking at some of the women who, who dealt with it there. I, I'm very interested in all of that, but you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I wouldn't know where to begin to be tongue tied. <laughs> I wouldn't have very many articulate questions, but that's where I would go. <laughs> and I would uh, dig them all up from the wonderful posters. <laughs> yes. Well, Julie, thank you so very much for, for coming on the show today. Uh, if people want to find you, where's the best place uh, for them to go? Well, I've got two sites you can visit. If you want to learn about um, Magicana, you just simply go to www.magicana.com, M-A-G-I-C-A-N-A.com. Um, and I dare say, if you're interested in seeing um, a little bit more about what I do and what I'm passionate about, you can see me at magicien.com, M-A-G-I-C-I-E-N-N-E.com. <laughs> Excellent. And we'll put some links uh, to that in the, in the description as well uh, so people can find you easy as well. Uh, thank thank you. you again so much for, for, for coming on the show. It's been amazing speaking with you. Oh, it's an and honor. Yeah, and for everybody uh, listening at home, uh, tune in next time and we'll have some more great guests for you. Thanks for uh, listening in.